Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Melba, thank you for that beautiful song and that beautiful truth that there is nothing greater than grace. And that's going to provide a very fitting introduction to this sermon found in Jeremiah chapter 36. There's an invitation and an offer during this passage of Scripture and at the end of this passage of Scripture for us to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. We live in an interesting world, don't we? Uh, You can wake up in the morning, you can pick up your smartphone, and you can discover news that is going on or went on in the middle of the night on the other side of the world. I mean, just think about this. A little over a hundred years ago, you wouldn't know what happened in the next town over unless someone came from the next town over to tell you what happened. And now in the day in which we live, you can find out what happened in China in just a few seconds by looking at the, the correct, or the, the right, if it's newsworthy, right, uh, on the right news app. You can open up your chosen social media platform and discover what's going on in the lives of people. It used to happen through conversations, through phone calls, or through gatherings. Now I can pull up the Facebook app, which many of you have, and I can see images of children, of families, and and things that people are posting about birthdays and birthday parties. And sometimes I can see people doing other things, arguing and fighting and fussing and that kind of thing as well. And you can see that too. And sometimes you you scroll through that really fast. Or if you choose Twitter, that's pretty much all Twitter is, is, is an app to argue back and forth. That's what it does on social media. Maybe you prefer uh, images to arguments, and you like Instagram. You just want to see, you know, see, see things, the pictures people post. Or maybe images and Facebook and arguments aren't your cup of tea, and you want to see cats dance, and you go to TikTok. I don't know what your chosen social media app would be, but I do know this. I can imagine if we went back to uh, Jeremiah chapter 36, there would be a headline that would read something like this, Babylon defeats Egypt at Carchemish. Geopolitical world changes. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to you and to me today. But in 605 BC, the era in which this particular story takes place, what happened at Carchemish when the Babylonian army defeated the Egyptian army was revolutionary and world-shattering. To that particular point in human history, the primary world power had been Assyria. They lost a little bit of their power and legacy when Egypt came through. And Egypt, if you'll remember, Pharaoh Necho was the one that took Josiah's life. Josiah, King Josiah, the last good king of Judah, went out in battle to meet the Egyptians. He died. When he died, uh, when Pharaoh Necho and his army killed him, they put in charge, Jeho- or Jehoahaz actually took charge, the son of Josiah. He didn't last very long, three months. And he was deported to Egypt. And Egypt put this king that we're going to read about in, Je- in Jeremiah 36, and Jehoiakim in charge. And so he's a vassal king underneath the, the rule of Egypt. But when Babylon overtook Egypt, destroyed Egypt, defeated them in the battle of Carchemish at 605, it changed the events that were going around, changed the power structure. 
in and around Judah. And so Jehoiakim had this idea in mind that maybe Judah was going to gain its independence back. Maybe they were going to have a chance to to control their own destiny. Maybe they weren't going to have to give money to Egypt. Maybe they weren't going to have to give money to Babylon. Maybe they could see their way through this geopolitical circumstance. In these events, God said something specific to Jeremiah. I've entitled this message, Friends and Enemies. You'll see why in a few minutes, because we're going to read about some friends, and we're going to read about some enemies, and we're going to see some truths about God intervening in situations and circumstances in life. So if you will, pick up with me and read this chapter alongside of me, Jeremiah chapter 36. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, that would be 605 B.C., the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah until now. Get why. Verse 3. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster that I intend to do to them. And so every one of them may turn from his evil way that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. And Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah. And Baruch wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord that he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah ordered Baruch, saying, I am banned from going to the house of the Lord, so you are to go. And on a day of fasting in the hearing of all the people in the Lord's house, you shall read the words of the Lord from the scroll that you have written in my dictation. You shall read them also in the hearing of all the men of Judah who come out of their cities. It may be that their plea for mercy will come before the Lord, and that everyone will turn from his evil way, for great is the anger and wrath of the Lord." has pronounced against his people. And Baruch, the son of Neriah, did all that Jeremiah, prophet, Jeremiah the prophet ordered him about reading from the scroll the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. In the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, all the people in Jerusalem and all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem proclaimed a fast before the Lord. Then in the hearing of all the people, Baruch read the words of Jeremiah from the scroll in the house of the Lord in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, the secretary who was in the upper court at the entry of the new gate in the Lord's house. When Micaiah, the son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the scroll, he went down to the king's house and to the secretary's chamber, and all the officials were sitting there. Elishama, the secretary, Deliah, the son of Shemaiah, Elnathan, the son of Akbor, Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, Zedekiah, the son of Hananiah, and all the officials, and Micaiah told them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the scroll in the hearing of the people. Then all the officials sent Jehudi, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Cushi, to say to Baruch, Take in your hand the scroll that you read in the hearing of the people and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand and came to them, and they said to him, Sit down and read it. So Baruch read it to them. When they heard all the words, they turned one to another in fear. And they said to Baruch, We must report all these words to the king. Then they asked Baruch, Tell us, please, how did you write all these words? Was it at his dictation? Baruch answered them, he dictated all these words to me when I wrote them with ink on the scroll. Then the official said to Baruch, go and hide, you and Jeremiah, and let no one know where you are. So they went to the court of the king, having put the scroll in the chamber of Elishama, the secretary, and they reported all the words to the king. Then the king sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and he took it from the chamber of Elishama, the secretary, and Jehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood beside the king. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter house, and there was a fire burning in the fire pot before him. As Jehudi read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife, 
throw them into the fire, in the fire pot, until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. Even when Onathan and Deliah and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. The king commanded Jeremiel, the king's son, and Sariah, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, the son of Abdeel, to seize Baruch, the secretary, and Jeremiah, the prophet, but the Lord hid them. Now, after the king had burned the scroll with the words that Baruch wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. Concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, you shall say, thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll, saying, why have you written in it all that the king of, that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and cut off from it man and beast? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit on the throne of David. His dead body shall be cast out to the heat by day and the frost by night. And I will punish him and his offspring and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the people of Judah all the disaster that I have pronounced against them, but they would not hear. And Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And many similar words were added to them. It is a great temptation or a great opportunity for us when we get confronted with issues or circumstances in life or things we're dealing with for us to go to a social media platform and for us to write about it, for us to comment on it, for us to write a blog post or for us to read a news article and then make a comment about it. And sometimes we do that in all the best interest of the people that will read it. Sometimes we do it with a good attitude and a good, good, good heart and a good motivation and then, quite frankly, sometimes we do it, and it is unwise and, and foolish, and it is us speaking out of a place where we don't have the authority. Uh, all I'm here to say is, while any comment you've ever made on social media is probably going to be there for a long period of time, let me assure you, most comments on most social media platforms will not last very long. They just won't. They're, they're, they're not ultimately important. Can we go back and find them? Yes, so I would advise you not to say anything on social media that you don't want someone to discover one day. But in the whole extent of the authority they have, they're not going to have a whole lot of authority 100 years from now. But I want to tell you something really powerful about God's Word. Jeremiah wrote a book 2,600 years ago, and we're still reading it 2,600 years later. There are some things that are worth reading there are some things that last, and there are some reasons those things do last. We are living in very strange days indeed. There are, there's a political divide, there's uncertainty, there's economic uncertainty, there's frustration, there's a pandemic, COVID numbers are going up, all kinds of things are going on in the circle and the life in which we live. I want to tell you something really encouraging. We need to be encouraged because God speaks in troubled times. You should get this. This is beautiful to me. In the midst of this uncertainty politically, in the midst of what was going on in Jehoiakim's life and the life of the people of Judah, God said to Jeremiah, take all the sermons, all that I've given you for the last 20 years of your ministry, and this was a 20-year ministry at this point in Jeremiah's life, write it down in a scroll. 
I want you to pin the words of the messages that I've told you to preach, and I want you to make sure that they get read again to the people of Judah at the opportune time. I want you to make sure that the words that I've already told you get preached again. Some, sometimes preachers get asked, do you repeat sermons? Well, yeah, we repeat sermons. Now, not very often, not so much. I don't, I don't preach last week's sermon this week, but I preach this sermon three times. At least, so I repeat a sermon, and occasionally I'll come back to the same theme or topic or idea. Let me tell you what Jeremiah did. He preached these sermons, and then God told him to write them down. Probably because they needed to be heard again and read again and responded to. God's Word doesn't change that drastically. What I mean by that is, God's offer of repentance and His promise of judgment, that's pretty static throughout the Old Testament and even throughout the New Testament. The content doesn't change. Circumstances may change. And the the medium in which it's delivered or the person delivering it may change. But God's word really doesn't change. So God told Jeremiah, here's what I want you to do. Take the sermons that I've told you to preach and I want you to write them down. Put them in a scroll. And I want you to make sure that that gets read to the people of Israel, the people of Judah. It should encourage us that God speaks in troubled times. It should encourage us that 2,600 years after the fact, we are reading from the pages of Scripture. I mean, that should encourage us. Did you catch, and and we'll come to this in a moment in more specific application related to Jehoiakim. He cut the scroll as it was read and he threw it into a fire. He tried to destroy God's word. And yet, what did God say to Jeremiah after that? Go do it again. Write it all down again. You ever lost a paper that you've written on a computer? Because you didn't save it properly? I've done that. I I had to pull an all-nighter or two in college. Because I just flat lost a paper. I mean, it just went away. Went into the world of nothingness. Or I don't know where it goes in computer land. But it went there and I had to rewrite the paper. Jeremiah had to rewrite the, the words. And guess what? He rewrote them. And all we remember today about Jehoiakim is that he burned the scroll. But what we remember about Jeremiah is 52 chapters of God's promise of judgment, repentance, new covenant, and restoration. God speaks in troubled times. You know why God speaks in troubled times? Because He wants us to repent. He wants us to turn to Him. I want you to get this. It may be, verse 3, that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster that I intend to do to them so that everyone may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. You need to grasp this. What God has to say to you and I today in the world in which we live is no different than what God said through Jeremiah 2,600 years ago. Yes, if you continue in your wicked ways, judgment will happen. But I want you to repent and turn to me. I want you to confess your sin and acknowledge your unrighteousness and receive the grace that we sang about just a moment ago and receive the grace that Melva sang about just a moment ago. God is offering us the opportunity to confess our unrighteousness before Him and to receive salvation through Jesus Christ who died on the cross so that your sins could be covered. That's what God said to Jeremiah 2,600 years ago. And that's what God says to us today. God speaks in troubled times. Be encouraged. I want you to know God is not ignoring the situations that are going on around us. God's very well aware of everything that we're facing and watching and experiencing. He's aware of who's commenting and what's being said. I'll tell you this though. We will be much more encouraged, much more blessed, much more strengthened, and much less worried if we read what God says and ignore what everybody else is saying. Because God's word is authoritative and full of grace and full of opportunity 
to repent. We need to be encouraged. God speaks in troubled times. Um, let, me, let me give you another truth. Let's be comforted. God provides friends. God provides friends. Now, Jeremiah didn't have that many converts. He had some converts. He had some people that supported him, but not that many. Most of the people of Judah, and certainly those in leadership, the, the power players, the kings, they didn't really have anything to do with Jeremiah. They didn't listen to him. They, they, they sounded like they did, but they didn't listen to him. But he had somebody who listened to him, Baruch, the son of Neriah, a good man. He was a secretary. He was a scribe. He wrote down what Jeremiah said. I want you to catch this too, by the way. Uh, God told Jeremiah to write it down a year before the message got preached. Sometimes it takes a while to do God's bidding. And so uh, Jeremiah wrote the words down, or Jeremiah had Baruch write the words down. And then at the right time, the time when there was a fast that had been proclaimed, maybe, and I don't know the specific circumstances, maybe news had reached Jerusalem that Pharaoh's armies had lost at the Battle of Carchemish. And Joachim knew that now they were going to be out from under their, their vassal king, the, the one they were responsible to. And maybe he was thinking, maybe now's the time God's going to choose to bless us and care for us and restore the kingdom to us. Maybe something like that was going on. And they called for a fast. And they went to the temple to pray and to, and to, to seek God. And what happened was, Jeremiah looked at Baruch and said, Baruch, I can't go to the temple. I've been banned from the temple. Why had Jeremiah been banned from the temple? Well, go back and read Jeremiah chapter 7 and go back and read Jeremiah chapter 11. The reason Jeremiah had been banned from the temple is because the things that he said that came from God were not popular. You don't want to hear him preach. He was going to be arrested if he preached. Let me tell you a good friend. A good friend is a friend that will go say something that would get him arrested too. And think about this. I mean, Jeremiah couldn't go preach the sermon... So he said to Baruch, I want you to go preach the sermon. And Baruch went and preached the sermon. Three times, actually. He read in the hearing of the people the sermon. And some of the leaders heard that. We'll get to them in a moment. They heard it. And they said, hold on. We need to make sure this gets to the king. So they brought Baruch. And they brought the scroll. And they read it in the hearing of the king. So that sermon was read three times. And Baruch read it twice. These messages from Jeremiah. He was a good friend. We find out later that he did some other things. If you look back at last week's sermon, later in Jeremiah's life, this is kind of going backwards in Jeremiah's life, but going forward in Jeremiah's life from last week, Jeremiah 32, Baruch was the scribe who, who conferred the, the, the contract for Jeremiah to buy the piece of property. Baruch was a good friend. He was someone to be counted on. Be comforted. God provides friends. I'm going to tell you something. God does provide friends in your life and in my life. You may not have a lot of them, but if you have one you can count on, then you need to count yourself blessed. I, I have a few in my life. My wife is my best friend, and there are times I come in from, from work or she comes in from work, and I'm just going to be honest with you, we're tired and, and we're frustrated and, and we're, we're working through all the details of parenting and, and ministry and, and her running a nonprofit and those kind of things. And, and sometimes I'm just going to be honest with you, we're not the best people at home. I hope you can relate to that. I hope you're not perfect when you go to your house. If you are, then you need to write a book and sell it and make a lot of money. The secret of being perfect with your spouse. I'm not perfect with my spouse, but I can go be honest and be who I am to my spouse, to my wife. She's my best friend. And you know, there are times she looks at me and tells me I'm being stupid. 
And there are times she looks at me and she just builds me up and encourages me. And you know what? We need friends like that in our lives. I've got a good friend of mine that I call on a regular basis, a pastor friend of mine. He understands what I'm going through. I understand what he's going through. It's unique for us. In this situation that we find ourselves in, having to adjust ministry platforms and ministry plans. And there's sometimes it's hard on him and sometimes it's hard on me. And we've called each other and we've moaned a little bit to each other. He's had some really interesting people come through his church. Send him some really interesting emails that I get the pleasure of laughing at him and laughing at the situation. And I also get to to encourage him and build him up and remind him that he's doing the Lord's work. And he's done the exact same thing for me. And you know what? There's hardly a day goes by that I don't actually thank God for those people he's put in my life to be an encouragement. My wife, pastor friends, church friends. You know that. You know, there are some people that it doesn't matter what you're going through. You could call them on the phone right now. Say, hey, here's what's going on. Will you pray for me? And they'll show up with a meal. Or they'll just show up. Or they'll just listen on the phone. They'll be there for you. I'm going to tell you something. Jeremiah needed that in his own life. And God provided Baruch. Be comforted. God provides friends. And if you've got one of those friends, thank God for them. Let me tell you what that also means. Be that friend to somebody else. If you can encourage somebody, encourage somebody. I've got to move on. Let's be clear. Here's number three, the third truth. Let's be clear. God promises judgment to the rebellious. He does. Jehoiakim heard the words... And he burned the scroll. Joachim's not the only one that heard the words. In fact, Joachim wouldn't have heard the words if it hadn't been for a man by the name of Micaiah. He was listening there in the temple to the words, and he was the son of Gemariah, the grandson of Shaphan. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but if you go back into Israel's history, Shaphan was actually in Josiah's court. Shaphan was the man who read the law to Josiah when the law was found in the temple when they were doing the reconstruction of the temple. Shaphan was the man that stood in front of Josiah reading the book of the law, proclaiming to him God's promises and God's judgments. And you know what Josiah did in that moment? Josiah tore his clothes and bowed in repentance and led the people of Judah in a time of spiritual reformation wasn't lasting, but at least lasted during Josiah's life, and it made a difference for some. Micaiah was the son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan. He had a good family line. Micaiah heard the words of the, uh, of the Lord, and he feared God, and he, he acknowledged that the words were words that needed to be heard, and he made sure that those words were heard by the king. I want to tell you something. There's, there's, a, there's a word there. We can't spend a whole lot of time on this, but let me tell you something. It's families. Let me ask you a question, dads. Let me ask you a question, moms, grandmothers, grandfathers. Are you known for your complaints or for your political positions? Are you known for your frustrations at home? Or are you known for your respect for God's word? Micaiah heard God's word, made sure the king got God's word, because Shaphan had heard God's word and made sure the king got God's word 20-some years before. Because Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, told Micaiah what he needed to know about God's Word. And that foundation, that framework was set up in their lives. And there was a fear of God's Word and a respect of God's Word and a submission to God's Word. And the king heard God's Word as a result. Let me tell you something. There's going to come a day when the sporting events that you made sure your kids were plugged into 
are going to go away and they're not going to matter anymore. There's going to come a day, a day when the awards and the programs that your kids get, uh, they, they're basically something that's hung on a wall or something that's stored in a box, and they're not going to have lasting influence. There's going to come a day when all of the things that we give our kids and all the toys and the games, those things aren't going to matter anymore. But there will never come a day when the value we place on God's Word will not matter in the lives of your children and grandchildren. You want to make a difference right now? You start figuring out how you can let your children and grandchildren know that you're a person of the book. That you respect God's Word, love God's Word, listen to God's Word. And, and bring that into your home. Say, how do you do that? Well, the least thing you can do is read God's Word together as a family. That's the least you ought to be doing. Some kind of family devotion time where you're reading Scripture. Letting God speak to you, knowing that, that Scripture is important. Being in church, worshiping God together. I'm going to tell you, I don't know how many of you are doing this or not doing this. I'm not trying to be a critic or a judge. But if you are worshiping with your family in your living room, that is a fantastic statement that you respect and honor God's word with your family. It, it says a lot. It says that in all of this uncertainty and, and these weird times, you're still valuing the worship of God and the preaching of God's word. That's important. If you're doing that in your homes, amen. Praise God. Jehoiakim didn't do that. Jehoiakim is a complete contrast. His grandfather, his father rather, Josiah, heard God's word, tore his robes, and bowed in repentance. Jehoiakim heard God's word, and one commentator described this chapter this way, the pen and the penknife, the pen for writing down God's word and the penknife for cutting off slices of the scroll. It was wintertime, and, uh, and Jehoiakim burned the scroll. Now, I, I have not met a boy yet who is not a little bit of a pyromaniac. One of my sons, both of my sons like fires, and we like to build fires and have little campfires in our backyard, and my oldest son absolutely loves to burn paper. If it's paper, he wants to burn it. If it's not paper, he wants to burn it. If it's flammable, he wants to burn it. If it's not flammable, he wants to burn it. He just loves to burn stuff. So he doesn't have access to our lighter. Just to let you know that. Uh, but Jehoiakim in this situation was sitting there at a fire, not burning a newspaper, not burning something worthless. It's burning God's word. Now, that's some brashness. Philip Ryken, in his commentary, he, he described it this way. The shocking thing was not so much Jehoiakim's stupidity as his audacity. Jehoiakim was casual, almost nonchalant in his defiance of God's word. It's tragic. Tragic that a king of the people of God would listen to God's word being read Messages from Jeremiah the prophet at the direction of God. And, and instead of just ignoring it, instead of just rejecting it, he would cut it off and burn it. Unfortunately, too many people in our land are guilty of something very similar. And God promises judgment. He said to Jeremiah that Jehoiakim would not have a son to reign on the throne. Which is true. He was not honored when he died. His son didn't reign. His brother, Zedekiah, was put on the throne. And there was no line for Jehoiakim after this event. 
because he rebelliously worked against God's word. I'm going to tell you something. There's a contrast that I'm offering this message in this, this passage of scripture. And, and one contrast is this. If you reject God's word, if you rebel against God's word, you can expect God to judge. God will not tolerate you ignoring him. And the reason why is because God is holy. We sang about that earlier. God is holy and he desires us to be right with him. And if we rebel against him, he's going to judge us. He does so all throughout the book of Jeremiah. And we see this in the text. God brought judgment upon Jehoiakim. There's a fourth truth though. Let's be certain about this. Let's be certain God rescues his people. God rescues his people. I love this. Did you catch that, that they told Jeremiah and Baruch, hey, the king's going to want you dead. Why don't you go hide? Why don't you go hide? Now, now sometimes we think, is that, is that an act of cowardice? Not really. Not if you look at the last part of verse 26. Uh, the king sent people after Jeremiah and Baruch, but the Lord hid them. Now, I, I'm going to say this. God doesn't always promise to deliver us from the immediate circumstance that we're in. He did here. He did here, I think, for one specific reason. He wasn't done with Jeremiah and Baruch. Jeremiah had many years of ministry left. They weren't easy years. They were difficult years. We read about some of them last week in chapter 32. We'll read about some more next week as we in interact with Jeremiah's conversation with Zedekiah, the next king, the last king of Judah. God had a plan for Jeremiah, and God wanted Jeremiah's book to be in the Bible. And the king had just burned the scroll. He had burned the copy that Jeremiah had written down or had Baruch written, write down of his prophecies and his words. So God wasn't done with Jeremiah. So God wanted this book to be read. And so the Lord hid Jeremiah. The Lord rescued him. He delivered him from the hand of Jehoiakim, a king who wanted to take his life. I think there's a lesson in there for us. God rescues his people. He does. He may not rescue us in the way we ask. Some of you have prayed that God would heal a loved one from cancer or from heart disease God decided or did not intervene and heal that person of cancer or lung disease or whatever it might have been. Some of us want God to deliver from drastic circumstances or we wonder why God didn't rescue our children or grandchildren from catastrophic events like car accidents or things of the sort. Sometimes God doesn't rescue his people from persecution. That actually took place in Jeremiah's life. I mean, he suffered immensely, even later on in his life. But God while God does not always rescue practically in the way we want, God does always rescue his people ultimately. We need to grasp this. And there's a picture here, there's an image here that lets us really get to the invitation of this message. God offers us the privilege of eternal rescue. Why? Because it's all about a relationship with the living God. See, Jeremiah was rescued in this moment, but in future moments, he wasn't rescued from persecution, suffering, and death. But I'm going to tell you this, for the last 2,600 years, our time, however that works in God's eternal time, I don't know. Our time, Jeremiah's been with the Lord. And Jeremiah will always be with the Lord. Jeremiah will forever be with the Lord. Some of you may look around and say, man, God needs to rescue us. We're going down some, some rabbit holes of wickedness and sin and depravity, and God may. And by the way, God gives us his word so that we'll repent and turn to him and he'll forgive and he'll, he'll, he'll grant us relationship with himself. That's what we need to pray for our land and for those around us. But today, God is giving you the opportunity to make sure you're a part of his family and be rescued by him, maybe in this life, but definitely for eternity. Really two options. 
as we get to the conclusion of a message like this. So option number one, you can hear God's message, his offer of repentance, and you can do what Joachim did. You can burn the scroll. You can reject God's word. You say, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in what God's word teaches. I'm not interested in anything that says I'm a sinner. I'm not interested in anything that says I've got to respond to God. I don't want to bow before God. I like doing things my own way. It's okay. You can do that. The problem is you're inviting God's judgment. You're inviting God to bring you to a place where, where you will be judged for your sin and wickedness. And I promise you, you can't stand under God's judgment. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross to take your judgment in your place. To suffer a death you couldn't die. To suffer a pain you couldn't suffer. To deal with your sin in a way that you could never deal with your sin. And Jesus suffered your judgment for you. And the invitation for all of us is this. If we will acknowledge our sin and admit our guilt. And turn from our rebellion. And seek rescue in the Lord. Do you know what God promises he'll do? He promises he'll cleanse you of your sin. He promises he'll cleanse you of your rebellion. He promises that he'll give you eternal life. That he'll rescue you, not just for this life. Maybe not for this life, but he'll rescue you for the next life. He'll give you eternal life. He'll give you a home that will last forever. If you're watching on a platform and you're not in the room and you want to know how you can experience the new life that God offers... If you can send us a message, please do so. If you want to call us at the church, 336-667-1271, let us know what's going on in your life. We'd love nothing more than to tell you how you can be rescued by God and be saved and be forgiven. If you're in the room with us and you'd like to find out how you can experience forgiveness and repentance, how you can turn from rebellion and turn to Christ and experience salvation, God's offering you that opportunity today. For those of you that have already settled that in your lives, Hear this, hear this, God's giving you a chance to share this with somebody else. Is there a child, grandchild, neighbor, coworker, family member, friend that needs to know that God loves them and God wants their forgiveness and God wants their salvation? Would you consider sharing with them the good news that God offers them a chance at repentance? Would you walk out of here today with a commitment to take what you've heard and share it with someone else. Stand with me, if you will, as we close. With the invitation hymn, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, I have no doubt that that's going to speak to somebody. We need to bow in our humility and surrender ourselves and our rebellious streak to a God who wants our forgiveness and salvation. Lord, we come to you in this moment, and we do pray that you'd have your own way in our hearts and lives. If there's one here, if there's one watching there's one listening, or if there are many that are in that place where Jehoiakim was, where they are toying with you, where they're rebelling against you, where they're rejecting your word. I pray that in this very moment, you convict their sin. You convict their sin so that you can convert them to salvation. I pray, Lord, that you change their hearts, that you would turn them from their rebellion and turn them to you. Lord, I pray that you would help them to know that you invite forgiveness you offer forgiveness, you invite repentance, and you want to rescue them. And I pray for their salvation. And I pray, Lord, for us that have experienced your rescue, your forgiveness, your redemption. Pray, Lord, that we'd be encouraged by your word, that we'd be comforted by friends. We'd be clear about your promise of judgment. Lord, that we'd be certain of the rescue we have and the eternal life we have. And those encouragements that we walk out of here with in this worship service. 
you would not only instill in our hearts, but you would send out through our lips to someone this week who needs to hear the good news of your son, the offer of repentance, the life of salvation. Pray that you move in our hearts this day. Have your way in us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.